Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. We had a bit of a week off last week, didn't we? We did. We went on holiday. It was more Dad and Daughter Do Disney. It was. Dad and daughter and the rest of the family do, Disney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, I think the boys enjoyed it. I think so, yes. We all had a very lovely time. It was, um, yeah, it was a really lovely week. It was it yeah. was full on, it was very busy, but we had a really, really, really lovely time. It was good, yeah, and Toby, who's, um, I mean, he's not quite five yet, but he's tall for his age, so he was able he's to go tall. on some big rides, which... Other kids of his age may not normally be able to get on. <laughs> like the the big roller coasters and oh uh, my god, some of those roller like coasters are and, huge. And he loved them. He absolutely he did. loved them. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he Little did. Daredevil. I noticed there's a three part documentary on. Is it Sky Crime? Yeah, it is. Yeah, about Libby Squire. Yes, I started watching it earlier. It was very good, very thorough. Yes, an interesting story, which you covered very well back in, uh, actually it was March, I think, episode 53. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think it was the last episode before we took a break for me to have Otto. Uh, yes, I think you're right, it was, yeah. So uh, if you've been watching the TV series about her, remind us she was a student at uh, Hull University, and originally from High Wycombe, I think, mm-hmm. was she? Who was murdered one night. Yeah, it was a big case at the time and um, still getting a lot of publicity one way or another. Yes. But yeah, if you haven't heard that episode of ours, it's uh, maybe a good one for you to catch up on. So tonight, Dad, following on from the case that you did a couple of weeks ago now of Peter Tobin, I am going to be talking to you about Bible John. So we did kind of tease this a little bit when we talked about Peter Tobin and mentioned Bible John a couple of times. So we thought that it would be it would be good to cover the whole Bible John story. Bible John is an unidentified serial killer. So spoiler alert, we don't know who he is. <laughs> um, he goes <laughs> by the uh, the nickname Bible John, but you'll find out later on as we go kind of why he is linked to Peter Tobin. But officially, we don't know who he is. Bible John is believed to have murdered at least three young women between 1968 and 1969 in Glasgow. Okay. Bible John's victims were all young brunette women between the ages of 25 and 32, and all of whom met their murderer at the Barrowland Ballroom, which is a dance hall and music venue in Glasgow. The first victim of Bible John was a 25-year-old nurse called Patricia Docker. So she was a mother of one who was estranged from her husband and living with her parents. One Thursday evening in February 1968, she informed her parents that she would need them to babysit because she was going out dancing for the evening at the Majestic Ballroom in Hope Street in Glasgow. Although at some point in the evening, she changed her mind and decided to go with her friends to the over-25s evening at the Barrowland Ballroom. She failed to return home that night, um, and her Mm -hmm. parents assumed that she'd spent the night with a friend. 
However, on the 23rd of February, 1968, Patricia's naked body was found in the doorway of a lockup garage by a man who was on his way to work. The location of her body was only yards away from her home and her body bore evidence of extensive blunt force trauma, particularly to her face and her head. She'd been strangled to death with a strong ligature, which is possibly a belt, and her handbag, her watch and her clothes were missing from the crime scene. Her clothing was never found, although her bag was later recovered from the river cart, and her watch was recovered from a pool of water, which is quite close to the murder scene. Okay. A murder inquiry was immediately launched and then extensive door-to-door inquiries took place and this produced a witness who recalled hearing a female scream, leave me alone, the night before, but little hard evidence was discovered at the crime scene. However, the ambulance man who found her body said that he recognised her from the hospital that he worked at, so that enabled them to identify her quite quickly by contacting her family. A post-mortem was conducted, and that confirmed that the cause of death had been strangulation, but that her body had no clear evidence of sexual assault. And the stage of rigor mortis that her body was in indicated that she'd likely died shortly after she'd left the Barrowland ballroom, so she would have been attacked quite quickly after leaving. Investigators surmised that the perpetrator had likely just grabbed her before repeatedly punching her and kicking her in the face, as she screamed, leave me alone, which the neighbours heard. And then they think that even though there was no kind of clear evidence of the sexual assault, that she was likely raped and then strangled to death and then left in the doorway with nothing but one shoe nearby. In the middle of a town? Yes. How does anybody not witness any of that? Amazing. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. Bible John's next victim was a 32-year-old mother of three named Jemima MacDonald, who on the 16th of August 1969 spent the evening dancing at the Barrowland Ballroom. She was a regular attendee of the Barrowland. As per their family custom, her sister, Margaret O'Brien, took care of her three children in her absence. As midnight approached, Jemima was seen by several people in the company of a young, well-dressed and well-spoken man of slim build, aged between 25 and 35, and between 6 foot and 6 foot 2. The individual had short, dark brown hair with fair streaks, and he had a distinctive Glaswegian accent, and he occasionally inserted brief biblical quotations into his conversations. Hmm. Jemima MacDonald was seen leaving the Barrowland Ballroom shortly after midnight on the 17th of August in the company of this man and was last seen walking towards either Main Street or Landrassy Street in the direction of her home at approximately 12.40am. She was never seen again. Oh. Margaret O'Brien became concerned when her sister failed to return home to her three children. Later the same day, she began hearing local rumours that young children had been seen leaving a derelict tenement building discussing a body in the premises. So by Monday morning when she still hadn't turned up and her children were still with her sister. Her sister was so concerned that she went herself to this tenement building to see if there was anything there. And when she arrived at the old tenement building, she discovered her own sister's extensively battered body lying face down with her shoes and stockings lying beside her. Oh, that's not a good thing. No. A post-mortem concluded that she had been raped and extensively beaten, particularly about her face 
and then she had been strangled to death with one of her own stockings. Her murder had occurred approximately 30 hours before her body had been discovered. And unlike Patricia Docker, the body of Jemima MacDonald was fully clothed, and although her underclothing had been torn, however, an interesting detail that linked both of those murders was that both women had been menstruating at the time of their death, which I feel like could only have been a coincidence, unless the murderer had like specifically asked before. Anyway. Police inquiries into Jemima McDonald's movements on the night of her murder produced several eyewitnesses who were able to accurately describe the man with who she'd been with and who left with. And door-to-door inquiries around the area that she'd been found produced a woman who remembered hearing female screams on the evening of her murder. So there were some striking similarities between the two murders of Docker and McDonald. Mm-hmm. They'd both been at the Barrowland Ballroom on the evening of their murder. And they'd both been beaten before being strangled to death with a ligature. And they were both menstruating. And they'd both had their handbags taken from the crime scene. But despite extensive public appeals, they both became cold cases very quickly. Um, right. Police had very little information owing to the lack of witnesses and hard evidence. Yes, there was these people who said that they'd seen this guy with Jemima especially. But that was it. There was yeah. no sort of hard evidence to be found anywhere. The investigation had been hindered by investigators not discovering until three days after her death that Docker had attended the Barrowland on the evening of her murder. They weren't aware that she'd been there. And then 18 months later, when MacDonald died, they then kind of became aware of, of the similarities. They didn't conclusively link them both together, but they couldn't discount it at the same time. But they thought that the perpetrator must have had quite a high degree of local geographical knowledge. So they assumed that it was somebody who was from Glasgow because of where the women had been found. So for the first time in a Scottish murder hunt, a composite drawing of the man with whom Jemima MacDonald had been seen was given to the press. And this was widely distributed by newspapers and on the television throughout Scotland in efforts to identify the suspect. Both male and female undercover police officers performed discreet surveillance at the Barrowland Ballroom in efforts to identify the suspect. And police surveillance there was actually ended in October 1969 because they didn't see anybody who was like the descriptions or like the composite that had been made. And the detectives were also blamed by the people who owned the Barrowland Ballroom for the sudden, the sharp decrease in attendance. (laughs) So people just stopped going there because they, Mm. well, I also feel like it could have been the fact that two women had been there and then murdered. So that would probably put you off going there, wouldn't it? Yeah, it probably wasn't good for them at the time, was it? No. Ironically, on the 31st of October, 1969, so at the very end of October, after the police's work had (laughs) been um terminated there a man walking his dog discovered the body of 29 year old helen puttock behind a tenement in the scottstown district of glasgow her body was found beside a drain pipe in the back garden of her earl street flat and she'd been stripped partially naked extensively beaten around the face before being raped and then strangled to death with one of her own stockings Mm. remarkably similar to the murder of jemima mcdonald yeah The contents of her handbag had been scattered close to her body and the handbag itself was missing from the crime scene, again, as in the other two murders. 
Grass and weed stains on the soles of her feet and shoes showed that she'd engaged in a ferocious struggle with her killer and she'd evidently at one point tried to scale a a nearby railway embankment to get away. Her body also had a deep bite mark um, on her upper right thigh, which had also been the case with the other two previous victims. And um, Helen had also been menstruating at the time of her murder. And her murderer had placed her sanitary towel underneath her left arm. The evening prior to her murder, Helen and her sister, Jean Langford, had been to the Barrowland Ballroom, where both had become acquainted with two men, both named John. One of these individuals had said he worked as a slater and resided in Castlemilk, while the other individual had been a well-spoken man who did not disclose where he actually lived. So after they'd been in the company of these two men for more than an hour, all four of them left the ballroom together to head home. The man who who was named John, who'd been Jean's dance partner, walked to George Square to board the bus. So that was the one who was the Slater, who was kind of open. The one who'd been dancing with Helen hailed a taxi. And they, they, the, the three of them set off. So Helen, her sister Jean and John. Well spoken, John. Shady John. <laughs> set off in a, in a taxi together to make a 20 minute westward journey towards where Jean lived. And when they got to Jean's home, she got out of the, the cab, leaving Helen and her dance partner still inside with the plan to take them both back to Helen's house in Scottstown where Helen was never seen again. Uh. She was then found shortly after by the man who was walking his dog. Yep, dog, yep. So Jean informed detectives that the man who was with her sister had been teetotal, who repeatedly quoted from the Old Testament stories of Moses um, during the time that they were in the taxi together. Okay. Which is a bit weird. And he'd referred to the Barrowland as an adulterous den of iniquity and had also made quite clear his disapproval of married women visiting the Barrowland ballroom. Oh, right. Okay. So that is where the kind of nickname Bible John comes from because mm-hmm. he didn't choose yes. John. And a couple of the witnesses now have said that he, he had quoting. been kind of quoting from the Old Testament. Seems mm. weird. Like, I don't, why would you go? Well, to go and pick people up to murder them, obviously, was his motive. But why would you go to places like this if you thought it was such a awful thing and was totally against everything you believed in? <laughs> Does seem odd, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So Jean Langford, Helen Puttock's sister, became quite an integral part in the search for the murderer yeah. of her sister because she'd spent such a long time with him in, in the his, in his company, taxi. Yeah. In his company. Yes. Uh, Assuming it was the John that she went off with in the taxi. That yes. Well, he her. became the, the suspect because he was the last person that she was seen alive with and then right. had disappeared. She described him as being tall, slim and well-dressed with reddish or fair hair, rounded neatly at the back, aged between 25 and 30, and approximately 5 foot 10, hmm. which is a bit shorter than the person had than the, than the earlier people had yeah, described him as, he was but... between six and six foot two yeah this individual had given his name as either john templeton john sempleson or john emerson i guess it's kind of hard to hear when you're in a nightclub taxi. essentially <laughs> or a oh, taxi. Nightclub, yeah. um <laughs> And uh, there's music and shouting and stuff. So he'd been polite and well-spoken, 
uh, which is the people had said, and he had frequently yep. quoted from the Old Testament during their ride home, whilst also indicating that he was neither Catholic nor Protestant. Jean <laughs> stated that it had become increasingly clear to her in the taxi that this man had considered her presence in the vehicle to be an inconvenience. And at one point during the ride, he'd explained to the women the reason he refrained from consuming alcohol was due to his being conditioned by a strict parental attitude before adding, I don't drink at Hogmanay, I pray. He sounds like a lot of fun. Hmm. He'd also alluded that his attitude towards dance halls came from his father's belief that they were dens of iniquity. So, yeah, it sounds like a, a nice conventional family upbringing that we are so accustomed to hear about in these stories. Yeah, he was happy to go back to Helen's house. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. For whatever they got in mind. Right, okay. Exactly. But I guess mm. if she wasn't married... Well, then... <laughs> yeah, okay. Even so. <laughs> yeah. Contradictory values there, by the sounds of things. <laughs> yes, I wonder if it was more of a case of he was sort of trying to set himself up as this biblical man and yeah. I'm religious and I'm trustworthy and you can you can trust me because I'm religious and I don't drink and all these things when actually I'm going to yeah. murder you. So Jean also told detectives that the man who had been in the taxi with them had been Slim Tall, who'd been dressed in a well-cut brown Reed and Taylor brand suit and who smoked embassy cigarettes. And she also recalled his mentioning that he'd been familiar with several drinking premises in the Yoker district of Glasgow and that he'd at one stage worked in a laboratory. Adding to that idea that the police said earlier on about um, it had to be someone who knew the area relatively yeah. well. She was able to describe distinct facial features on this man, such as him having overlapping front teeth. However, when they spoke to the bouncers at the Barrel Amborium, they dismissed it, saying that it had been a short man who was well-spoken with black hair. So you can hmm. kind of see why the police are getting confused, because they're getting quite mixed messages. Yeah, quite yeah, definitely. Mixed, mixed descriptions about who this guy was and what he looked like. The last possible sighting of this suspect was made by both the driver and conductor on a night bus, who noticed a young man matching the description given by Jean getting off a bus at the junction of Dumbarton Road and Grey Street at about 2am on the 31st of October. He was in a particularly dishevelled state. He had mud stains on his jacket and a livid red mark on his cheek just beneath one eye. Uh. Um, the witnesses also record him repeatedly tucking a short cuff of one sleeve into his jacket sleeve. A man's cufflink had been found alongside the body of Helen Puttock. And he was last seen walking towards the public ferry to cross the River Clyde to the south side of the city. Okay. The murder of Helen Puttock had remarkable similarities to the other two yep. murders, further raising suspicions that all three murders had been committed by the same person. They'd all been the mother of at least one child and had met her murderer at the Barrowland Ballroom. The handbag of each woman was missing. Each victim had been strangled to death and at least two of those had been raped prior to their murders. And... Two of them had been strangled by their own stockings. In addition, each of the women had been escorted home by her killer and then murdered within yards of her doorstep. And all had been menstruating at the time of their death. And each of them had had their sanitary towel or tampon placed either on, underneath or near her body, leading to speculation that the women had been murdered for their refusal to engage in intercourse with the murderer, possibly excused by their periods. Hmm. So he'd kind of taken them home and then said, sorry, 
can't do anything because I'm on my period, and then he murdered them in rage. Hmm. Is I wonder, oh, it makes me wonder if he had taken other women home who home exactly hadn't been on their periods and they done whatever. Yeah. Okay. And it had been all right, and it was more of this it'd kind of right, yeah. rage misogyny thing because they'd refused him. Yeah. So within hours of the discovery of the body of Helen Puttock, an additional composite drawing was done from the detail provided by her sister. And she was shown the image that had been created after the murder of Jemima MacDonald. And she believed that it was a true likeness to the same okay. man that had gone home with her sister. Sister, yeah. They really asked the public to closely study it and, you know, think, did, did anybody know anyone that it could be? His hair was unfashionably short for the era. So they took this composite drawing to over 450 hairdressers in and around Glasgow to see if any hairdressers kind of recognised him or recognised the haircut. And they also spoke to all of the dentists in and around the city to examine their records to see if they had anybody with overlapping incisors, which had been pointed out. And yep. all that was missing teeth in the right upper drawer because they could kind of see that that was, that was missing from the teeth marks that were found on oh, yeah. the women. On the bodies. God, asking a dentist to go through all their records. To... Can you imagine? Wow. <laughs> um, but both lines of inquiry proved fruitless. Neither the hairdressers nor the dentists could help them. Mm-hmm. More than 100 detectives were assigned to work full-time on the case and 50,000 witness statements were taken in door-to-door inquiries and more than 5,000 suspects were questioned in the first year of the inquiry. Um, It's a lot, isn't it? Jean Langford was required to attend over 300 identity parades. What? That's a lot, isn't it? But she was adamant that none of the individuals that she saw were the man that she'd last seen with her sister. And they were all cleared of involvement. They're worried that the perpetrator would strike again. So a team of 16 detectives were instructed to mingle with dancers at all the dance halls in Glasgow. In particular, they spent quite a lot of time at the Barrowland, especially at the over 25s events where each victim was presumed to have met her murderer. Yeah. Despite the extensive manhunt, no further developments at all would arise and the investigation into the three murders gradually became cold with many officers assigned to the case believing that the perpetrator had either died been jailed for an unrelated offence or had been incarcerated at a mental hospital or that senior police officers had known his actual identity but had been unable to prove that he'd committed the murders others Mm. speculated that he might have just moved away from the Glasgow district or he was kind of travelling so he would just murder whenever he came up to the vicinity And this prompted police to circulate the composite drawings through kind of all British Army, Navy and Air Force bases in the UK, Europe and the Middle and Far East (laughs) to see if there was like any sort of likenesses for kind of anybody from the army who was based there. But again, it proved to it failed to produce any real significant leads. There were some potential suspects, though. Okay. One was a gentleman called John White. He's called John. A former detective said that he thought that it was this gentleman called John White and he'd given the investigators details of the arrest of this suspected in 1969. And he thinks that it 
it's likely to be him, but he was it was dismissed simply because he didn't have notably overlapping front teeth. All right. But he was seen at the Brown Ballroom arguing with a young woman. And then he was giving investigators concerns because he, the, just the, the way that he was acting. So there was no kind of real evidence to attach him to the crimes, but they thought that he was a bit dodgy. There was some basic circumstantial evidence in that he was seen regularly at the Baradon Ballroom. He was yeah. known to kind of, yeah, frequent there, had been in fights at the Baradon Ballroom quite regularly. And his demeanour had left had left left the police thinking that he would have been the perpetrator. But the individual came forward and provided a DNA sample in 2005, so quite recently, really, and yeah. cleared him his name. And so he was eliminated as a suspect, even though the police at the time were quite focused on him. In 1983, an, an unidentified man contacted Strathclyde Police and he said that he knew that his friend had been Bible jumped, oh. adding that both he and his friend had been raised in the Cranhill district of Glasgow and they'd both gone to the Barrowland Ballroom in the 1960s. He'd claim, he'd, he said that he'd read an article in the Evening Times five years previously before suddenly realizing his friend had been the perpetrator of the murders. Oh, wow. The suspect was traced living in the Netherlands, married to a Dutch woman, and nothing more was ever heard from the claimant or the repeated suspect. Hmm. So, yeah. In the years after the Bible John killings, a number of women came forward to claim they'd been sexually assaulted after an evening at the Barrowland, which kind of links into the idea that it's somebody who's going and trying to pick up women or sexually yeah. assault them. Yeah. One of these women, Hannah Martin, claimed that she'd been assaulted and raped by Bible John and had subsequently given birth to his child at the Glasgow Royal Maternity Hospital in January 1970. In April 1969, Martin had gone to Barrowland and she ended up leaving the dance hall in the company of a tall man with who she got home with. And then Martin had later accepted his offer of a lift home. However, during the drive, the man's sexual demeanour became more aggressive and Martin, who was drunk and terrified that she was going to be attacked, vomited in his car. (laughs) He then threw her out the car and drove off, leaving her standing on the pavement. An author has claimed that Martin's daughter could be the the link to the actual identity of Bible Okay. if they could get the DNA, if it was, in fact, the same person. Another suspect is a guy called John Irvine McInnes, another John. In 1996, Strathclyde police exhumed the body of John Irvine McInnes from a graveyard in South Lanarkshire. He'd served in the Scots Guard, but he'd committed suicide in 1980 at the age of 41 by severing his brachial artery in his upper arm. Oh, gosh. He was the cousin of one of the original suspects in the Bible John investigation, and a DNA sample was taken from his body for comparison with uh, semen samples found on the stockings belonging to Helen Puttock, which had been used to strangle her. Yeah. The results of the testing actually proved inconclusive, but the Lord Advocate Lord Bacay said that there was insufficient evidence to link him with the murder of Helen Puttock and he was officially cleared of any involvement in 1996. Hmm. But there must have had quite a lot of evidence to have authorised information. In. Yeah. And the kind of final high-profile um, suspect is Peter Tobin. Mm-hmm. So several criminologists and investigations have speculated that serial killer Peter Tobin could have been Bible John. 
as a reminder, he Peter Tobin was convicted in 2007 of the 2006 murder of Polish student Angelica Kluck, um, yeah. as well as two earlier murders. That occurred um, in 1991. Yes. Peter Tobin had relocated from Glasgow, from Shettleston in Glasgow to England in August 1969, yeah. before the final two murders committed by Bubba John, but after ah. marrying his first wife, whom he'd met at the Barrowland Ballroom in 1968. So he met his wife at the Barrowland Ballroom. From August 1969, Tobin lived in Brighton for 20 years, and from late from the late 80s, he would alternately reside in either Scotland or the south of England, which we talked about. Yeah, in your time. in the last episode, the fact that he'd attacked Cluck so ferociously, hid her body, and then absconded to London prior to his arrest, didn't suggest that it was the first work, and, and we know that he mm-hmm. had murdered before. There are some contemporary visual similarities between Peter Tobin when he was in his twenties in the sixties and the yep. nineteen sixty nine composite drawing of Bible John, although the hair colour was potentially different. In addition, all three of Tobin's former wives had given accounts of them being repeatedly imprisoned, throttled, beaten and raped at his hands. And each of them stated that he had been driven to extreme physical violence by the female menstrual cycle. Okay. uh, Which is a factor which has kind of long been suspected by the investigators as being the perpetrator's motive behind the murders. In addition, Tobin is known to have been a staunch Roman Catholic with very strong religious views, and the alias Bible John might have been given to Jean Langford and and Helen Puttock in 1969 is similar to one of the pseudonyms which was known to have been used by Tobin, John Semple. Okay. Which yeah. is one of the names that, names they, that they thought gave. they heard. Yeah. Yeah. A criminologist actively investigated this for years and strongly believes that all the available evidence suggests that Tobin was Bible John. And although detectives had been able to kind of clear some other suspects using DNA testing, they've never been able to do so with Peter Tobin because of the deterioration of the physical samples that they have because they've been poorly stored. So they've never been able to kind of wipe him out that way. Operation Anagram, which we talked about last time, which was to try and work out who else Tobin might have murdered. So uh, a result of Operation Anagram which we discussed last time, was that a woman came forward and informed investigators that she had been raped by Tobin after she'd met him at the Barrowland Ballroom in 1968, shortly after the first of the murders known to have been committed by Bible John. So, I mean, a lot of this is stacking Mm. up. (laughs) He used the same name that they'd been given. He was known to have been violent he was known to have sexually assaulted women he had gone to the barrowland ballroom he'd sexually assaulted women at the barrowland ball or you know shortly after yep. leaving the barrowland ballroom he was angered by the menstrual cycle he was a catholic it feels like there is quite a lot of evidence there stacking up mm, against yeah, him circumstantial but yes <laughs> a lot of coincidences a lot of, a lot coincidences. of coincidences yeah. However, he has since been eliminated as a suspect by the police. Oh. Although it's often reported that he moved from Glasgow to Brighton after the 1969 murders, he in fact relocated from Glasgow to Brighton before the second murder attributed to Bible John. So, yeah. and Operation Anagram discovered that he must have been in Brighton at the time of the final two murders. He can't have been up there visiting. 
he married his first wife in Brighton on the 6th of August 1969, 10 days before the 16th of August murder of Jemima MacDonald. And the wife has testified that they were still on their honeymoon in Brighton at the time of the murder of Jemima MacDonald. And she insists that he was with her at the time and that they weren't together anymore, whether there's no reason for her to lie about that. Yeah, He was also in police custody regarding an unrelated crime when another mm. of the killings occurred. Right, and he okay. was still living in Brighton at the time of the third murder, meaning that he'd have had to travel without his wife's knowledge to Glasgow and back from Brighton to have committed the murder of Helen. <laughs> That's up. an awful long way to go. Yeah, to just the... to pop up to Glasgow from Brighton and back again without your wife noticing. <laughs> yeah, in 1969, that's no mean feat. Yeah. <laughs> so whilst there was some evidence that couldn't be cleared with DNA, they were able to check his DNA against a semen sample that was found for Bible John as part of Operation Anagram. And they proved that it probably didn't belong to him. The doubts surrounding the DNA evidence, notwithstanding, the police also have a record of the bite mark that was found on Helen Puttock's body, which they cross-checked with Tobin's dental records, as they'd done with John McInnes when he was exhumed, and they neither of those match it. There is no kind of solid evidence to link Tobin to the Bible John murders. And Operation Anagram eventually discounted the theory, even though there is quite a significant amount of circumstantial evidence, as we discussed. There's no sort of physical evidence, so obviously he had to be wiped out. A writer called Paul Harrison, who has followed this for years, has claimed in his most recent book in 2013 that he thinks that Bible John was potentially a police officer. And was able to kind of cover his tracks. Yeah. But okay. So no further murder victims killed in Scotland or anywhere else in the United Kingdom have ever been attributed to Bible John. Right, Um, okay. And the manhunt for him well unless he changed his MO significantly. Well he must have done if he was continuing to um murder. The manhunt for this murderer was one of the most extensive manhunts in Scottish criminal history. And the murders of the three women remain unsolved. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, nearly 60 years later? Although the case remains open, many of the investigators remain certain that the perpetrator or perpetrators of these crimes were highly likely to have been shielded by one or more individuals to kind of help keep it suppressed. There is no uniform consensus that the three killings were actually the work of the same person. It could oh, be coincidence it that it was three okay. it, that they were so similar. It could have been three people. I mean, and it's claimed, which I also thought that the gap of eighteen months between the first two killings is unusual for a serial killer. That's quite mm. a big gap, isn't it, for it to go kind of eighteen months because the sort of scale of that first murder had obviously someone had been building up to that. So usually by the time they're at that point, then they just kill, 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 don't they? Rather than leaving it such a long time. And the later two murders might have either been copycat killings or those two were committed by somebody and the first one. So Patricia's murder was committed by one person and then Jemima and Helen's murders were committed by somebody else. Yeah. And as usual, criticism has been levelled against the police for potentially hampering their own investigation by prematurely jumping to the conclusion that all three murders had been committed by the same person. Hmm. In 2004, police announced their intentions to genetically test a number of men in a further attempt to identify the perpetrator. All the individuals concerned had to submit blood samples. 
Yeah. And this followed the previous discovery of an 80% genetic match from semen samples that had been retrieved from the final crime scene attributed to Bible John, with a DNA sample retrieved at the site of a minor crime scene committed two years earlier. And that sample was enough of a match to lead officers to believe that the person who committed the offence was either related to the killer or was the killer. However, that didn't come up with anybody either. The sole witness ever to have engaged in a lengthy conversation with him, who was Jean Langford, Helen Puttock's sister. She died in September 2010 at the age of 74. And that kind of ended that. So she couldn't help with that anymore. And despite the assertion that Peter Tobin might have been Bible John, when Jean Langford discussed her sister's murder, and many decades later she dismissed this theory, stating emphatically that Tobin had not been the man with whom she'd shared a taxi on the night of her sister's murder. So it remains unsolved as of today. Wow, still a cold Nobody, case. Still a cold case. Mm. So those three women brutally three cold murdered. Three cases, yeah. Three cold cases, yeah. Three women brutally murdered after going for a night out at the Barrowland Ballroom, going home with somebody, and then being murdered and left metres away from the front doors, essentially. Between and, uh, uh, 1967 and 69, was it? 68 and 69. So 68 there was, and 69. Yeah. So yeah. February 68 and then August and October 69. So quite close together. Yeah, I mean, you can see why Peter Tobin gets pulled into it and why yes. they think that it could have been him, because that is some hefty circumstantial evidence. It but, is, yeah. Um, there's also quite a lot of uh, evidence, evidence to, to yeah. show that it probably wasn't him either. Yep, yep. Hmm, um, frustrating. But, I mean, yeah. the amount of time they must have put into solving those three. I mean, 50,000 yeah. witness statements. 50,000 witness statements. 300, 300. identity <laughs> Unbelievable. 100 detectives <laughs> working full-time on it Yeah, as a case. That's yeah. um, a lot of people, isn't it? A lot yep. of time, a lot of a lot of man hours, a lot of police hours to try and figure it out. And they couldn't. They and couldn't. I guess this is one that will probably never be solved now. Because so much time has passed. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting story. Yeah, yeah mm. I didn't really know what Bible John had been up to, what what his crimes were. So it's uh, it was good to to learn about them. Mm. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. I guess, and there's an interesting mirror that you know Peter Tobin was convicted of three people. They think that Barbara John killed mm. three people. The only three that we know about Peter Tobin were yeah. two in 1991 and then one in 2006. Yeah, there probably are some other murders, aren't there? That are, um, did Operation Allegra- I don't think Operation Allegram found any others attributable to him, though. I don't know, th- or none that they had like kind of real concrete evidence yeah, they could charge him with. I think that was the issue, wasn't it? Yeah. I think there was was there like kind of hints that there could have been other ones, but actually actual concrete evidence. Yeah. Was difficult. He was only ever convicted. Peter Tobin was only ever convicted of those of three, three. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I think if you look at some of the photos, I think there is a bit of a likeness between young Peter Tobin and Bible John, but then. I don't know if it's... uh... Will we be able to see those photos? Yes, I will share those photos on our Instagram page. At Dad and Daughter Do Death. And we'll share them on Facebook. Dad and Daughter Do Death. And if you want to get in touch with us about this case, to share your thoughts on whether you think he was Peter Tobin or if you have any idea who Barbara John could have been, you can email us 
at dad and daughter do death at gmail.com it'll be really good to hear from you and of course you can always message us through instagram or facebook as well if you'd like to you can absolutely it'd be lovely to hear from you yeah so uh subscribe to our podcast leave us some stars (laughs) yeah it's always good to get some sort of feedback yeah leave (laughs) us a review yeah that would be great thank you phoebe really really interesting story genuinely uh fascinating that one you are very welcome and um thank you at home for listening yeah so join us next time and once again dad and daughter do death